All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, originating from Florida State's Winery in Land Lakes, Florida, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. Vice President and General Manager of Florida State's Winery, from coast to coast, and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235 and let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. They're warm this week. Right. It was cold last week. They're warm. It's supposed to be cold next week, though, so I don't know. They, yeah. yeah. Saturday or Saturday. this weekend. Yeah. So, you know, Saturday afternoon, and then it's supposed to be cooler throughout the week. So, mm-hmm. But it's still mm-hmm. better than anywhere up north, you know, so. <laughs> That's true. I can't complain <laughs> about that. Mike and I were talking yeah. before the show about the anniversary. We mentioned last week on the end of the program that we're – at an anniversary coming up this week, I was wrong. Well, no, I wasn't wrong. Uh, the no. we are technically, technically our anniversary. I think is is January the ninth. Blog Talk Radio anniversary is in March. What is it? March what? No, Blog Talk Radio's anniversary was. See, that doesn't make any sense. That because we were it was one thousand mics that we were on in March, and it said the first show. I don't know when huh. it started on Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, that's. Uh, I have to go back on Blog Talk Radio and see where it was. I don't know. We're, we're trying to trying to figure this yeah. stuff out. We we were sitting there talking about it, yeah. but either way, uh, within the next <laughs> sixty days, ninety either days, way. we will definitely have it. our first show. Uh, if for any of us who's been with us since the very very beginning, was done. Let us Mike know. <laughs> And, yeah, we don't have any idea. So if you were from at the beginning, call us. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm looking. <laughs> yeah, somebody will call and say, "Yeah, I heard you on." Um, now, our, our first show, from what we just figuring out, it really wasn't all about wine. All about wine didn't come into existence until Blog Talk Radio. I'm thinking, was it before that? It was. Yeah, because we were on 1,000 mics before, and mm. that clip that I played before we started, that was from 1,000 mics from March uh, 19th, 2009. Oh, and we wow. went from radios we after and, that. It's, yeah, sometime after that, I guess. So we were on something January of that year. I don't know. And that's what we can't figure out. We were trying to figure out what it was. Yeah. What we did in January, Mike came up to the winery. And he set up a table. And, you know, I'm not thinking – I think it was before January, though, because it was it was right after one of the space launches. And you oh, wow. came and set up, set up a table, and you were talking about going over to the last space launch for the shuttle. 
Mm, I remember that. I was in the back seat of the car. That wasn't comfortable. Yeah. Um, and you you, oh, you wow. talked about how crowded it was and how crazy it was, and you were a long ways away, and you still got to see a good view, but it still took you forever mm-hmm. and ever to get away from it. And we talked. Yep. It was at the back of the winery, and you introduced the winery and talked about the winery for a little bit. And that yep. technically, I guess, would be our first show. But I don't mm-hmm. know who you were using then. Nope. No. <laughs> yeah. uh. And that's when you mm-hmm. asked me, you know, would you like to do a program about wine? I said, sure. But the, it wasn't a weekly program. We no. started out. We started out on a Tuesday, I think. We did some shows on a Tuesday. And then we settled on Thursday. I don't know. Wow. Oh, well. Yeah. Anybody on yeah, the phone the beginning, you know, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> yeah, we don't remember. We did, uh, probably we don't remember because we didn't expect to be lasting this long. And <laughs> like, man. You know, here we are nine years later, and we're still doing it. And we probably didn't expect mm-hmm. that. So, but uh, we, you know, we've we've had some some good things in in the, between there. I mean, we've had some great shows. We've had some phenomenal guests. We. Um, we were on AF um, Armed Forces Radio Network, Network AFRN, uh, for about a year, and then they folded up again. They came alive, and then they folded again, and then we, uh, it, you know, it's just it's been a roller coaster. We've missed different nights because of video or because of electronic problems. Uh, couldn't get on. Uh, there was shows that we did about a 15-minute show. Mike missed some shows because of illness or being gone. I missed some shows because of illness or being gone. It's been a roller coaster, but it's been great and it's been fun. And we will yep. celebrate our ninth anniversary in March. So it's. Uh, I I just found another audio file that that's. It, it was it was Chico Dog Live, and Chico. I introduced Chico you. Dog. Yep, Chico Dog Live was the main show. That's that's the thing. I think I did like a blog news thing or whatever. And there's right. some kind of wine like slow jazz song uh, in uh, intro. And I said with Ron, uh, and the the show name was just called Wine with Ron. And I was just listening to it. <laughs> I was listening to it going, God, where did I where did I get this from? And that was modified on March twenty fourth, two thousand nine. So it doesn't say where it where it uh, came from, like if it was Blog Talk Radio or what. But I can find that out on Blog Talk Radio. So wow. anyway, yeah, all that stuff was. Hmm. Man, I'm just going well. through. Over the next month, you got some work to do. You don't have to do it before next week, but over the next month, month and a half, you've got got some research. Give to me do. thirty minutes. Give me thirty minutes. I'll have a whole show done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't stay up late. Do it though. You, know, you need your sleep. Yeah. Series sweep. What was series sweep? That's something else. Was that another one? I'll find out. Anyway. I don't know. Are you finding stuff that we didn't know about? Yeah. Oh. Oh. Well, this could be fun. Seriously. Uh, while you're doing that, 
let me talk about sure. a couple of things here. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to let you go, and go back to typing. But if you're doing that, you won't be able to tweet. Oh, no. Nope. Um, I'm tweeting. I'm, I just found something. So Tweeting and yeah. finding oh, yeah. stuff? Well, you are really amazing. Yeah, really amazing. Uh, yeah. National Hot Toddy Day is today. What? National what? Hot Toddy Day. Hot Toddy? What is hot that? Toddies, apple Hot Toddies with apple cider, honey, lemon, cinnamon, sticks, and cloves. A hot toddy is it. just a, a hot drink with a bunch of <laughs> spices in it. People, I'm going to have myself okay. a hot toddy and go to bed. Yeah, hot toddy day. <laughs> Never hear that right. anymore, though. Today is National nope. Hot Toddy Day. Tomorrow is National Glazed <laughs> Donut Day. Yay. A lot Ooh. of donut places are giving you free donuts, too. Uh because it's National Glazed Donut. Yeah, really. It's it's. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye out. Dunkin' Donut, I think, it might be doing it as is uh, Krispy Kreme, but they have probably Krispy Kreme probably has the best glazed donuts. Uh, although yeah, I do love yeah. donuts. Krispy Kreme. If you're looking for a glazed donut, Krispy Kreme has to be the one to go to. Yeah. Um, and when you see that red sign on in the window, oh man, hot and fresh or whatever it's called. Oh wow. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just start lining up. You just go, oh, all right. Are you drive by? And right. No intention at all of having a donut. Then you see that hot and fresh sign on the window flashing at you, and you're going, oh, man. Mm. Yep. Making you turn to go through it, get a donut. Yeah. <laughs> or does. Yeah, that's uh, no. Krispy yep. Kreme. Krispy Kreme is, you know, some of the best. And it started right here in Tampa, you know, right down, down in Tampa, too. So, but <laughs> tomorrow. National Glazed Donut Day. Uh, what wine with glazed donut? I don't know. Maybe a sweet wine. The port. A glass of the port and a couple of glazed donuts. That might be pretty good there, actually. Um, Saturday, National Gluten-Free Day. So, you know, have your, have your gluten-free whatever and open a bottle of wine with it. Wines are gluten-free, by the way. So you don't have to worry about that. Sunday, National Hot Pastrami Sandwich Day. Oh, I love a good hot pastrami sandwich, too. And that would go great with uh, a glass of red wine. Don't get too heavy on your red, but still, though, that would be great with with red wine. Monday, the 15th, uh, Martin Luther King's birthday. A lot of people have off on that. And uh, it's also National Strawberry Ice Cream Day. Tuesday, the 16th, International Hot and Spicy Food Day. So, international foods that are hot and spicy. Um, now, I don't mean hot, meaning, you know, come out of the oven fresh. I mean hot like, oh, wow, that sort of burnt my throat. It's hot. So, there's a lot of them out there. Um, tamales, don't, don't pass up on the uh, Indian food, too. Uh, Indian and Pakistani food and all of those things tend to be a little bit of a spicy hot there, too. Wednesday the 17th, National Hot Buttered Rum Day. I don't think of a wine that goes with a hot buttered rum, but hot buttered rum is always a a good drink as in itself. And uh, then next Thursday, National Gourmet Coffee Day. So the uh, time you get to us in the evening there, you should have had your coffees. So that's coming up on the 18th. So that's our food 
events for the week coming up. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I found a article, an article, that was in the paper here a while back. And I thought it was quite interesting. And I think I want to go through it again. This was one I talked about on the program, I want to say, three years ago, if not longer. But it is an interesting article and one that I want to revisit. The article is, Ladies, Time for a Sobering Talk. It says, Blame biology, but alcohol affects women differently than it does men. And it does. I mean, it's just, you know, every study and everything I've seen talked about that. Uh, the, um, the old book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, uh, talked about the differences there, but it didn't lead into some other things like how alcohol affects women and, uh, as opposed to men. Physical differences mean that men and women metabolize their drinks differently. Now, we mentioned that before. Other conditions, which notably depression, uh, whether related to drinking on its own, add to that gender gap. Uh, that will also make a difference. Depression is more frequent in women than in men, so addiction is more frequent in men than women. But if women have a problem of addiction or alcoholism, there's more likelihood of having other psychiatric problems like depression. The likelihood that they were exposed to trauma is higher. And this is by a professor of psychiatry at, with all these things after his name here. Um, <laughs> instead of reading all of his, I guess I probably should since I'm broadcasting this. Um, but a um, professor that the National Institute for Alcohol and Alcohol Abuse estimates that about five and a half million women drink alcohol at levels that place them at health risk. And that's double for men, but drinking among women appears to be on the rise, and this is from numerous reports that have been coming in. Uh, now, again, this is a few years old, but I can't see it being any different. It would be fun to see a follow-up. That might be worth trying to get a hold of one of these authors and seeing. Teens and men were 67% of admissions in 2012, down from 70% in alcohol recovery programs, suggesting that women are beginning to, uh, more women are beginning to seek help. And 41% of the patients at uh, Miami's Hospital Addiction Treatment Center were women compared with 10% in the 1980s and 90s. So, wow, they are recognizing the problem and trying to do something about it. But that's uh, jumping up there. Addiction on the brain, uh, addiction for both genders, impacts the brain's medial forebrain bundle. It's also known as the reward target center. Um, and uh, it gets activated whenever an individual engages in activities that they perceive as pleasurable, eating, sex, drinking sometimes. Physical changes to the brain brought about the release of dopamine, which... When pleasure centers are tapped, this uh, 
could cause people to abuse or overuse anything because the it starts bringing up that dopamine. Drugs and uh, alcohol is a drug, by the way. It is classified in that category. Cause the brain to release dopamine in disproportionate quantities and compared to other activities. And so, therefore, it is uh, not built for such overstimulation. And as a result, the brain requires a larger hit to derive the same sensations, hence the root of addiction. Genetics is also a factor, but gender doesn't matter. A female grandparent doesn't mean the girls are more at risk. It's equal among the males and females. Um, The ADHD advantage, though, Take 235-pound individuals, a man and a woman, give each glass of wine. Women, physiologically, have less of a chemical called alcohol dehydrogenase, uh, which is alcohol that, or the chemical that immediately begins to break down alcohol into less toxic chemicals. So when a woman takes that ounce and a half drink, or that five-ounce glass of wine, it metabolizes much slower. And that's why. Excuse me. An hour later, if the couple orders another round, the man is essentially starting over. But the woman is adding on to the effects of the first drink. So the man is more likely to uh, has more muscle, which also helps speed alcohol metabolism. The muscles will help that. That's the uh, physiological and biological reason. It's not that men are tougher or more macho. It's just that the women don't have that uh, chemical called alcohol dehydrogenase that breaks it down so fast. Another property of alcohol is that it is a, it is a central nervous system depressant. Um, it's uh, part of its physiom, uh, pharmacologically is to depress nerve conduction. So women who drink to feel better, alcohol can have the opposite effect. When people drink heavily, they get depressed. Heavy drinkers, 80% would tell you they are depressed and 30% might have clinical depression when you ask in a more structured way. So it will create depression. So that's some of of the uh, uh, physical reasons there. More women are imbibing than ever, though, and they tend to drink more responsibly than men. So it's not all bad news for women. Want to get a woman... Uh, women to your next gathering, there'll be nothing that would draw a crowd quite like the promise of wine. From grocery stores and salons to trendy boutiques, fundraisers, even at Botox, uh, Botox parties, uh, alcohol is the girls' night out lure, they say. Uh, women uh, who know when to say when, social sipping is fine, but Measured in government surveys, DUI statistics and hospital admissions is on the rise. 15% of women who buy, who imbibe are binge drinkers. Meaning, now this is their 
definition for binge drinking, meaning they consume four or more alcoholic drinks within two hours at least once a week. Okay, four or more alcoholic drinks within two hours. So what we're looking at here is two hours. If you start, if you had a drink at the beginning of the program and finished the second one before the program was over and had a couple more, then you would be classified as a binge drinker, according to this. Once a week. While a quarter of binge drinking women are of college age, 10% are between 45 and 64. Thanks to biology, women get intoxicated sooner on less amount than men, meaning that they're more at risk. An associate professor at the University of Psychiatry at USF, at University of South Florida, Dr. Carlos Santana, who specializes in addiction, as he's talks about the differences. Uh, women are drinking more because alcohol is cheap and it's a fun way to get that dopamine boost. It used to be taboo for women to drink. Now it's acceptable, so therefore they're drinking more. Uh, also between juggling the stress of kids, jobs, parents, divorce, or other crises that might be in their lives, drinking tends to help calm it down. So that's one of the reasons. Another, why men tend, um, why can men tolerate more alcohol than women? We just talked about that. Is that how it's metabolized in the body? And that means that men end up having less alcohol in their bloodstream when they drink compared to women. And so, um, and also men have a lean muscle mass, and that also helps dilute the alcohol. What about drinking among younger women, such as college students? Younger women tend to drink faster, sometimes because they're trying to beat or keep up with the men, and sometimes they're uh, underage and they just want to drink. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not mine. It says so here. Um, they don't want to get caught, so they down the drink quickly. Uh, with less ADH, which is the alcohol This is shortened for that alcohol. What is it? I don't know where it is. I, I can't find it right now, but that's the alcohol thing. But less ADH in their stomach and liver, they get intoxicated more quickly, and therefore it puts more in their bloodstream. And fewer women are addicted to alcohol uh, than men. And it just, men tend to, 10% of men are alcoholics, whereas Three to three and a half percent of women are classified as alcoholic. Uh, they uh, tend to slow down on their drinking and actually watch it because they do have the kids around and stuff like that. Um, more women are in treatment than men. Women tend to seek treatment sooner than men. Men tend to be in denial and late in accepting that they have a drinking problem, thinking that they can handle it and it's okay. Women are more willing to accept that there's a problem and fix it. Uh, There's certain health problems, like high blood pressure and diabetes, that can uh, also cause problems in the body and in the system and everything else. So... uh, that's why people with those uh, women tend to notice that stuff and get help with it. And 
how can women drink safely? They should avoid all alcohol during pregnancy, he's saying now. Thinking of getting pregnant, stop drinking. Although we have had studies that have came out since this report, which is about four years old, saying that it's okay to have drinks in the second and third trimesters. Uh, and also drink slowly. Try to have some food in you. Don't mix drinks. Don't go from uh, a fruity drink uh, with rum in it to wine to beer back to that. You know, stay with whatever you're drinking throughout the evening, and it won't affect you as much. So that was from, I want to say, four years ago, and I found it. I'm going to share it again. Some of those things in there, like I said, have probably been disproven. But still, it's it's a good good thing to uh, keep in mind and good thing to look at there. That you know, it's uh, could always be a problem if you're drinking too much anywhere, anytime, any place. So keep that in mind. We do not promote drinking here. We do promote drinking wine. Uh, attention, Mississippi wine lovers. Go to freethegrapes.org and visit the website to personalize a letter to your state legislature in support of House Bill 98. House Bill 98, Mississippi, freethegrapes.org. It says, uh, and you can go to that site, just freethegrapes.org and... uh, Go to the uh, All Actions Alert. Excuse me. Legislative updates and updates. Legislative alerts and updates. Alerts. And the current legislation. Mississippi is uh, dear wine lovers of Mississippi. Mississippi is the only one of six states with an archaic ban on winery to consumer direct shipments. But proposed legislation has been introduced, which, if passed, will allow adult consumers to purchase a limited amount of wine directly from wineries licensed to ship to the state. So fill out the two-minute survey that they have on there, personalize it with a message, and send it to your state legislature. It just, it's a quick, easy way to do it. You can also follow All About Wine on Facebook. Uh, not All About Wine. Uh, FreeTheGrapes.org on Facebook. You can follow All About Wine, too. I mean, you don't have to do that. And send the message to friends and colleagues and everybody that lives in Mississippi so that they know that the state is ready to do that stuff. You can email it. You can fax it. You can do any number of ways to it. There is a letter that is in this editable, uh, editable, so you can, if you don't like something it says, you know, change your name, all that. From Mississippi, if you're from another state and you do this, it's just going to create problems. So if only if you're a resident and you are a voter in Mississippi, this is what's important with that. And then get that sent in there. It requires your name and email address and address, state, and all that stuff. So, uh, uh, do it. Uh, the uh, phone number is required, I think, by some officials and stuff. But do it. It's uh, simple, easy, and it will help Mississippi become 
one less state that we have to worry about about shipping wine. Like it says here, it's, uh, Mississippi is, is one of the last ones in the country that is actually still uh, doesn't allow shipping. So do that. Again, Mississippi, go to freethegrapes.org and sign the petition. And uh, be sure that uh, it is, uh, yeah, you know, some, but not really saying anything, so I'm trying to get out of what I'm doing here and moving on to a different page and everything. And when I do that, then it, uh, I mutter and all. Okay, here we go. Norton. Norton Grape. It's very popular in Missouri, actually. And the Norton Grape in Missouri is uh, used all over. The Missouri makes it in a sweeter style, a dry style, a semi-sweet style. They, they have that in just about every type of style that you can imagine in Missouri. And it's a great grape. It's it's a, a, a wonderful tasting grape. Uh, Strong Tower Winery, not too far from here. Strong Tower Winery is also a... Uh, uh, grower of the Norton, and as is places uh, on the East Coast, up and around. It's um, a uh, a Missouri standout. It's a, it's a celebrate the Norton month uh, uh, in January, Missouri Norton. Uh, the Cynthiana might be another name you've heard it, although I think the only place that calls it Cynthiana is Arkansas. Everybody else in the country calls it Norton. Uh, from the oldest grape varieties grown in the United States, it is a native grape. Uh, Dr. Daniel Norton discovered the grape in 1835 near Richmond, Virginia. Uh, in the 1800s, Germans who settled in Missouri found the uh, variety to be extremely hardy, and it endured the cold winters and humid summers there. So Norton is one of the most disease-resistant grape varieties out there also, which, I mean, cold-hardy, summer-humid, disease-resistant, what more can you ask in a grape? I know, good flavors and good taste, and it has that too. Uh, it's most popular growing in Missouri, uh, they have more than 350 acres and it accounts for 20.7% of all grapes growing in the state. Um, and it's, it's a good grape. Uh, again, they make it in a variety of different styles, sweet, dry, semi-sweet. Um, uh, it was named Missouri's official state grape in 2003. Uh, it's, uh, grape clusters are small to medium size with small blue black berries. Uh, harvest is late during the season, and then they ferment on uh, the skins. The dry, full-bodied red wine has rich, supple tannins, it says here, and some spicy aromas with fruity overtones. Uh, goes great with meats, wild game, lamb, steak, barbecue, cheeses. And you can also make Norton in a rosé, and you can also make it in a white. I have seen them both. I've, um, well, I actually am from Missouri, and you may have known that after the shows we've done. And I've seen Norton in rosé, white, and red. They have made it. And it's not a rosé white. It's a white white. I mean, they actually, it's it's a white wine they make under it. 
so uh, you can uh, you know try the Norton, and you can also look at visiting Missouri at uh, MissouriWine.org. Uh, they have a, quite a few wineries there. We've talked to Missouri. You can go back and listen to that on archives and all that. But the Norton Grape, it's a very very popular grape in Missouri and around there. You can find it all over the place there. But uh, Norton or Cynthiana, if you if you will. Carignan, there's another grape that I think does not get enough notice, that does not get enough uh, applause. Carignan, and that's C-A-R-I-G-N-A-N, Carignan. <laughs> if you go back to some of the original shows that we did, I slaughtered names. I'm, I was very good at that. I'm still very good at that. If you start giving me French names or Spanish names and all that, I'll have no idea how to pronounce them properly. But I don't know other languages, obviously, if you've listened to past shows. But uh, Carignan is, uh, a lot of people pronounce it Crignan. It's not Crignan, it's Carignan. Uh, originally from the Mediterranean area, uh, it is a, uh, a it's a red wine, red grape. It is used a lot for blending. If you start looking at the grapes that are blended in France and uh, Spain, you'll see that uh, it's actually a Spanish origin and it is still found uh, in the southern, or I'm sorry, northeastern part of the, of the country. And so it's, uh, that's where it came from. That's why the, the town of Chernina uh, is the region it's got its name, Carignan. And uh, it's, also made in uh, a blanc or a green uh, mutations. It's a red grape, but it's it's they've uh, mutated it out to a blanc or a green. It is spread over land from the point of conception, heading west to Rojo, and then further northeast to France, Côte d'Azur, and then it was taken to Chile and Italy and Morocco and Israel and California. Uh, plantings were expansive in the post-Philoxford period as Carignan was loved for what it actually is its worst quality, it, overproduction. It was it exploded on the vine, created lots of grapes. Uh, peasants used to plant it in the past century in the promise of grafting fine wine and uh, came up with producing an enormous amount of grapes and an enormous amount of social wine. It wasn't outstanding or anything. The uh, uh, This article went into a lot of you know where it is, how it's done, the soils, all that. Um, Carignan is, is a good grape. I, I enjoy it. It's hard to find a 100% Carignan wine at the stores, though. I've been to Total Wines. I've asked for it. If they you know, know what I'm talking about, they'll show me one or two that might be on the shelf. And if they grow, they grow it in so many different places. This is always why I wonder 
there is not more of it on the shelf as a bridle. Now, a lot of times, like I said, it's used as a blend. So because of that, it gives different characteristics. Uh, in uh, France, uh, Languedoc and Rosanon, Tennessee to pick the carrying on early. Uh, it's usually harvested in the third week of September, and they said that preserves the flavor. Uh, it also reaches high dill sugar levels early, so that is even better. Unlike uh, Grenache, it doesn't skyrocket in terms of potential alcohol once you start fermenting it. It usually stays below 15% in a normal um, fermentation and ripening. Um, let's see, it's just they go into a lot of a lot of stuff here about the, the grape and how it's planted and where it's planted and how it's been recognized and all that. It's, uh, it, Carignan is known for developing a wealth of tannins, acidity, and color. So it's typically been used as an excellent blending partner with Grenache, which lack those qualities. Uh, therefore, if not made with care, it can be prone to rampant reduction during vinification. So it must be careful with that. Um, best areas they're finding in the Pyrenees, uh, the Carignan wine there is this place of dark cherry fruit, blackberries, violet. In the past 15 years or so, Carignan has become more and more open to being a wine by itself, and people are starting to discover it and find it and find how great it is. Um, the parents of the Carignan, they're still trying to do some DNAs and trying to discover what that is. Um, not sure yet, uh, but it's been around for a long time, and it is a complex wine that gives some fantastic flavors, adds a lot to a meal of, of meats or something that has a little bit more body to it, and it will balance very well with that. I love a good Carignan. Mike, uh, Mike, I'm sorry, Mark, who was uh, with me at the winery for a number of years, that was his go-to wine. He used to absolutely love the Carignan, and I think he was pretty instrumental in getting me to discover it again in my life and continue to enjoy it. So Carignan, C-A-R-I-G-N-A-N, look for it. Uh, drink it. It is really, really a good wine. This next one here, I didn't. I saw this. I didn't see this. Read the whole article. It, for some reason, had trouble pulling up. Let's see if it does now. Uh, yeah, it did. Um, let's see. Does it say anything here? Oh, there. The, the name of the article is the world's best Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, well, is that objective? I don't know if that would be an objective subject or not. I I don't know. Tend to think that might be. I I don't know. Um, the world's best Cabernet Sauvignon. Simple answer is to get the scores of the critics and put it together and see what they have to say and say, okay, this is the best. But see if you get the scores from the critics, and they're all disagreeing a little bit, and so. One might give it a 92, another give it a 96, another, you know. 
and you start doing all the scores together and averaging it out and saying, okay, this one is the best, and that is how it's based. Uh, so, you know, Wine Searcher has came up with a list of what they feel is the 10 best Cabernet Sauvignons. Uh, Screaming Eagle Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa. Uh, <laughs> the price, price of a 2012 Screaming Eagle Cabernet Sauvignon is running $3,252. And it's, it was given a 96 on a score. Schrader Sellers Old Sparky Beckstoffer to Kellen Vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon. Boy, how did they fit that on the label? Napa Valley. It's the uh, first of three Schrader wines uh, from the to Kellen Vineyard. And uh, it carries the same score as Screaming Eagle 96, but it's only four, uh, $642. It is also a wine that won the first that received a 100-point score from Robert Parker. So that's impressive. Um, actually, the price has decreased since uh, 2012, and a little bit more accessible then. So, um, and this is, again, we're looking at uh, uh, Wine Searcher, and Wine Searcher is a company that sells wine and searches it for you and gives you prices and all that. So keep that in mind. Number three, a brew vineyard Madrona Ranch Cabernet Sauvignon. That's also from Napa. Um, this winery is the original vineyard and its first vintage was 1986. Got a score of 80 or 96. And today it's going for $424, cheaper than first. Number four, Schrader Cellars CCS Beckstoffer, the Tucallan Vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon. Here's another Schrader wine. Um, this also average score of 96, and it currently costs around $487. Although just a couple of years ago it was 588, so it's becoming a deal. And if you're saving one of them to get the price out, but you need to do something soon because it's not getting more valuable; it's getting less. Number five, another Schrader Cellars Beckstoffer to Kellen Vineyard Cabernet, and this is the third of three. This averages 96 on the score and $383, so it's getting cheaper. So there's the top five that they listed as the best Cabernet Sauvignons. I I, I don't know. Uh, I tend to think that's objective, but, you know, I don't know. If you have a thought, you can always contact me and let me know. No, Ron, that's not objective. That's really, really if it's great, it's great. Which, you know, it is great, but, you know, the best, I, I don't know. And, you know, I wonder how much cost played into those. Don't know that either. Got something interesting here. I was looking at uh, my afternoon brief. I always get a thing in the wine industry every day on the email. That's where I get most of my information and all this. This one 
wines in alternative colors coming to Sonoma County. You hear this, engineer? Usually look in a glass of wine, you see white, pink, or red. Not anymore. A pair of outliers is expanding the wine color spectrum. Orange and blue wines are making inroads into the national international wine market and soon may be in Sonoma County wine stores. Yep, orange and blue. Orange wine has been around for years in Europe, but it hasn't made it to the American market. Uh, Stranger still see appearance of blue wines. Uh, a few winemakers are trying to make something new to please the ever-changing taste of the millennials. We, we cater to those millennials, don't we? They, they have money. That's why we do it. They got the money. Rosé wine has been a long, uh, long ignored in favor of Chardonnay and Cabernet, but finally the category is growing. Rosés are getting bigger. Now, here's orange and blue wines, along with the rising star rosé. Orange wines takes its name from the color of the finished wine. It has nothing to do with citrus fruit. Now, I have an orange wine, and it is actually orange. So, you know, that doesn't surprise me at all. I have an orange wine, and it looks orange. I also have a key lime wine, and it's key lime. It's green. Uh, great St. Patty's Day, by the way, wine. But winemakers in the Caucasus Mountains of Georgia, and that's old Georgia over in the country, ferment the juice of white grapes and sometimes red grapes in large clay amphora pots that were buried in the ground. Long fermentations in the pots... Uh, and glass jars is common in many cultures. Uh, the Korean kimchi is fermented that way. Uh, the winemaker of Italy's uh, Frutelli region has revitalized the technique for the orange wine and presently has 45 clay and four he has shipped from Georgia in his cellar in the Colio district, I guess. Uh, his best orange wine is Rebola and Fora made from the Ribola grapes. He also ferments and ages the red grape uh, Pignola in the Amphora, as well as an orange wine called Reg Amphora, made from a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon, or Cabernet, no, I saw Sauvignon, I went immediately to Cabernet, and my mind worked that way. It's made from a blend of Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Pinot Grigio, and Riesling which might not be a bad combination in itself if you think about it, but then turning it orange may, may seem a little odd. Extended fermentation on the skins of white grapes extracts deep colors that vary from a light orange to a deeper orange with more tannins than are usually found in white wines. So that's how he does it. The flavor of orange wine is like concentrated fruit. Some say like stewed fruit, nutty with warm spices all with a light tannic background. Unlike orange wines, the blue wine is just hitting the market. Accounts vary about the origin of blue wine, but one account claims the inspiration came from Blue Ocean Strategy, which was a book written by business theorist, uh, theorist named W. Chan Kim, and his creation of Blue Ocean uh, and with his 
Caribbean connection, or Caribbean, however you want to pronounce it. Um, blue Caruco is a popular liquor made of dried orange peels and blue food coloring. <clears throat> excuse me, and hails from the Caribbean island of Caruco. I actually, as a side here, I worked in a uh, wine store, in a wine and liquor store, and it had a bar, and a couple of us invented a drink uh, using blue Caruco and Caracoa, uh, I think it's pronounced, not Caruco, Caracoa. Uh, Blue Caracoa, and uh, we invented a drink that used that and rum and uh, what was it? Uh, I can't remember all the ingredients. Actually, we won an award for it in local contest. So, but you know that was way in the past. Probably never find it anymore, anywhere, anyway. The uh, food scientists discovered how to extract natural blue color from algae. And from an Asian plant called butterfly pea flower. And these dyes are being used in coloring the blue wine. So that's how they get the blue. It's not like it's part of it. Whereas the original one was actually part of it. It was, uh, the orange actually comes from it. It says the blue is a sweet wine with an electric blue color. It's a proprietary blend of red and white grapes. And it's just the red grape skins added to it, an indigo plant compound for the coloring. Uh, there's also blue wines made from Chardonnay in, from Spain. And the jury is still out whether these will gain traction or will they just be a okay thing that's just gone. Uh, Rosé, by the way, is starting to pick up traction. It slid off for a while there. Now it's starting to come back into its own again. Um, all types of rosés and, and uh, blushes and all that stuff is starting to become more and more popular. Um, and actually, the, the rosés are the ones that are doing the big jump. Um, and it's starting to show in the numbers, too. So... So, blue and orange wine. Uh, blue is colored orange, though, is actually made from, from the wine. And they have a picture of this on here. It looks pretty cool. They have a, a, a light blue wine, and it sets it off with all the ladies holding it with their fingernails painted the same color, and that's really pretty. So, uh, there you go. Let's... Uh, Let's go to another site here. Thank you. Thank you to the millennials for, you know, coming up with that idea. Yes, yes. Thank you to millennials for buying that, for doing that. You know, just what else can we cater to? Oh, oh, I didn't mean I didn't mean cater like we're catering to them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't mean that word. (laughs) What else do millennials need to feel, you know, Satisfied. I, I don't get it. I, I just safe place. Whatever. Um. <laughs> oh. Well, it doesn't just have to be safe. It has to be a different color, apparently, because it makes it yes. different. Safe. Um, makes it different. I don't know. You gotta have different color wine. Can't just be satisfied with the red, white, blue, or a red, white, and uh, blush. They have to go blue and orange. Yeah. 
Yeah. Does that include a pacifier or do no? Ah! No, no, I don't. I don't think. <laughs> they might sell more though if they put it on the <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Yeah. Oh, I didn't pull it up fast enough. See, I'm never fast enough to do the to do the uh, the thing on here. The ringtone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What else can we include? Oh, there you go. Never fast enough to do that. You always see them. It's so far down on the list. I mean, my yeah. What else? Whenever we talk about millennials, we can always do this. Too. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, I wasn't drinking. I would have spit. I would have spit something. I would have spit my drink out if I was drinking some. Uh, <laughs> that was good. I didn't know that. I forgot that was in there. Where is it? <laughs> oh, sorry, millennials. Yeah, we we like you, millennials. We really do. I I see a lot of millennials come in. Some of them are very. Very good people. Some of them aren't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, but, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, nothing wrong with it, but it's just, yeah. really? Orange and blue. I've got to have orange and blue. Orange, I mean, orange and blue wine. Orange you and you blue. either have an orange or blue wine, or we're walking. We can't stand <laughs> We can't stand the standard colors. It has to be orange or blue. It the same same everything else. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. Yeah, it, it doesn't. You know, well, I mean, yeah, well. Uh, <laughs> Orange or blue wine. I uh alcohol as this little article here it says alcohol damages brain cells. You know, yeah, it probably does. And probably walking across the street damages brain cells because your brain cells are constantly changing. You know, I mean, you know, they've already discovered that a long time ago. I'm not a doctor, but the, you know, this Dr. Patel here and they're I, I really should give his first name because there's like a zillion Dr. Patels. Um, but uh, a thing from London says, this is another London uh, research thing here. He says that uh, DNA sequencing to examine genetic damage caused by alcohol on the acetaldehyde uh, that's produced when the body processes alcohol can help develop seven different types of cancer, including forms of breast cancer and bowel cancer, and also is shown to um, cause brain cell damage. Um, and it occurs, oh, I don't know. I just, I read this article and I'm going, oh, come on now. You know, um, a study in 2011 found that alcohol is responsible for around 4% of all cancer in Britain which is about 12,800 cases a year, which is substantial. But, you know, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I, it just, again, you know, everything is a problem. Everything causes everything. Leisure suits caused, uh, uh, caused cancer back when, if you wore your leisure suit. And, you know, I mean, not really, but that's, a lot of that stuff was that silly shall I say. So, I, uh, oh well. But, let me, something else here. Uh, The blizzard that hit the coast last week has fast moving and high impact. Now, this article goes in, it actually is very 
it, it tells about the the, the uh, bars, the uh, millibars for the pressure and how how high it was, and and then the low pressure, how low it dropped, and how it caused it. And very good article, and it talked about the snow in the south and everything. There was a little short thing here though. They were talking about the grapes. And it said that the grapes that are planted up and down the coast seems to have survived well. And they say seems to have because they don't know yet. You've still got the rest of the winter to go. And they're saying that no reports on any damage yet, but when you get this extended, very, very cold weather, it could cause some major problems. And so we'll hang in there and wait and see uh, what's going on. If it's going to make a difference, we'll wait and see if there's any more reports about the uh, weather and what it's done. But um, as of right now, there is no real reports. It's just a, well, let's hope nothing serious happens and let's hope everything's okay type thing. And, that the grapes survived it and the roots are deep enough and the ground didn't freeze completely and all that. So, uh, and so speaking of weather, I got one more story here tonight. This is about the fires in California again. Now we've covered that and I've posted stuff on there on the, uh, um, Facebook page about it, but it's not over yet. Uh, the uh, well, it's on top of Moon Mountain at uh, Gilfillan Vineyard. The owner kneels to the ground, pulls out layers of grapevine loose wood, and cuts into the trunk. He's checking to see if the grapes are still alive. If the trunk is green, that's good. The vines are alive. If they're dry and coffee brown, that means they're dead. Sounds simple enough, except that there are nearly 12,000 individual grapevines on this 6.5-acre vineyard, and each one appears to have suffered a different fate. So they can't leave the dead ones sitting there. they got to cut them out, and they don't want to cut out the good ones. So basically, they have to check all 12,000 grapevines. And this is going on around California and the vineyard areas. Um the green grass has sprouted between the vineyard rows, and the plants have shed their leaves. Now it's just winter hibernation. But next to the healthy-looking vines, there are pockets of blackened soil and clap sheds and irrigation hoses that have been uh, melted and misshapen and fallen to the ground. And now three months after the fires, uh, they're still trying to form a plan to rehabilitate the burned vines. They, they can't. They don't know what's going on. They, there's still, it's a new area of vineyard management that you don't train for and you don't have experience in. But it's something that you have to look at and you have to do. Uh, most of the vineyards and the roads surrounding the vineyards have been easily accessible um, but the fruit has already been harvested, so they uh, have been able to get the fruit in. That hasn't been a problem. But still, it's the matter. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, it's still a matter of uh, 
checking the vines and being sure everything's okay. Uh, so far, they're saying only about 4% of the vines have died. Um, row after row, checking them. Green, green, brown, green, green, green. And uh, there is no rhyme or reason to it. They don't see a pattern. They don't see anything on most of these that they can just go through and say, okay, these are dead. We need to take these out. There's just no way you can do that. You have to actually slice a little bit off of each each trunk um, to see what it looks like. Uh, actually, in most of the cases, the vines were fire breaks. Um, that there's dry vegetation on the ground or mulch on the ground or something, uh, then they weren't to burn through it. But most of the vines throughout the area were fire breaks. But now they're trying to uh, find out which ones survived and which ones didn't. Um, it's it's an ongoing thing, and if they didn't, for the grapevines that did not survive, it's a replanting in five years before they get to the point of producing fruit like the ones that they did. And rootstock. The rootstock in the ground is good, then they can simply regraft, but if not, it's a matter of planting new rootstock all over now, too. So it's a continuous thing out there. The fires are over and everybody's forgotten about it, which is, you know, typical for anything. But it's something that they're having to look at. Uh, all the growers out there say that grapevines are really an amazing plant. It could be injured on one side and fine on the other and still do what it needs to be done to it and still grow and produce and all that. And the other side just work its way out and fall off. So it's uh, ongoing thing. Uh, well, as I see articles, I'll pass them on to you. But uh, it's not over out there. The fires are past, but the grapevines still need to be examined, still need to be looked at. And come springtime, that's really going to be a big thing, seeing what is going to bloom and if there's any that's not going to bloom and how they're going to be affected by the fires that went through. And there we go for tonight. So 12,000 grapevines, there's what, 4,000 4, per acre or no? Uh, usually, yeah, usually about, about 5,000 per acre is what we usually look at. Um, okay. Uh, four to 5,000 per acre. And that's, you know, okay. depends on, actually some of it depends on the grape too. Some of the grapes, uh, you can plant closer together. Others you have to, right. you know, give like a six uh, foot yeah. gap, and others, you know, four foot will work and all that. But the closer you plant them, the more you have to really work on pruning and mm. and training the vines and stuff, and it, it gets a little bit more labor intensive. But um, wow, yeah, a lot of lot of work. A lot of work. I wonder if the uh, is it? Do you have, do you get insurance on you can yeah yeah you can get insurance okay i didn't insurance, I didn't know if insurance that is available for any of that stuff yeah in, insurance is available wow. for any of it uh wow hmm. you know uh, interesting but you know i mean it's a roll of the dice uh yeah it's yeah it, it could be very expensive like you know I, insurance when i lost the vineyard back in 04 to the hurricanes that went through uh we didn't have insurance uh, but mm. cost of insurance 
was like, oh, do we want to put that much money into it to check, you know, on a chance that there might be a hurricane because we haven't had any? Well, then that year, right. four hurricanes went through, and we would have said, oh, okay, we should have got insurance. But now, after the thing, we replant and we say, let's get insurance, and it's been 10 years, and we haven't had, oh, actually 14 years, and we haven't had any hurricanes or anything that would have caused the damage those did. And so, wow, you take a chance. <laughs> you do. You really do. And it, it, it can yep. get expensive. Uh, mm. But, uh, you know, you can get insurance for um, floods. You can get insurance for fires. You can get insurance. All that stuff starts adding up. And mm. you're just you're paying your money and hoping, you know, you're hoping that something happens and the insurance company is hoping that nothing happens. And you sort of hope right. that the insurance company wins that bet. I mean, you know. So. <laughs> wow. But, yeah. It, I wonder if uh, because, because of the, you know, because wine production is, is so huge in Florida, I wonder if, or, I mean, in, in California, if the state will pitch in to help them, uh, you know, if there's some kind of funds for that or if it's strictly, you know, everybody's on their own or and depending on what they have saved up themselves or, or insurance or if, if the state actually has a plan for that to to assist them. I, I, I don't know if uh, California there, does that or not, but it's a big industry. There is a lot of things that's happening in California. The GoFundMe things are mm-hmm. big. Uh, a lot of the wineries have started a GoFundMe account that um, their regular mm-hmm. customers have donated to. And a lot of the GoFundMe money is for the workers who have lost stuff, too. Uh, so they're right. helping them out. But uh, there's the GoFundMe account. Then there's also a lot of accounts out there that are just to help fire victims. Uh, there's a lot of them going on. In fact, uh, I, I think three weeks ago, four weeks ago, four weeks ago when you were out, um, mm-hmm. I read a little thing about the fires out there and there was a, a site that you go through redwood something which is a a site that helps just fire victims and a hundred percent of that money raised on that site goes to the fire victims and to the uh, vineyards and to the wineries um and there's others um i'm sure there's dozens of others but uh it, it's I don't know if the state's putting into the state of California has always been tight on money. I don't know if they're going to be coming in there helping them, but uh, there's a lot of different things that are going into it to help them. So uh, it's, you know, people come, come around, people do help and that's always a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. We talked to, I remember that the, when you said Redwood, I remembered um, there was a credit union, um, Redwood, um, yeah. CU.org or something, North Bay. Wasn't that North Bay Fire Relief? Was that the same one? Yes, yes, that I one. Think and, I remember uh, something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, 100% of that actually uh, yeah. goes to the fire victims, which is which is great. Um, pruning helps a lot. I mean, these these those taking care of the vines know what they're doing, and they'll help a lot. They'll, they'll do it. Uh, the few wineries that had major damage I'm sure have insurance for that but um, mm-hmm. crop insurance is a little bit more expensive and, and that's that's the one where I think most of them 
really would need the help because uh, I don't know. Living in California, though, I guess crop insurance is just part of the cost. You, when you have yourself a very, very expensive vineyard, and you have yourself uh, one that you are selling the fruit or making award-winning wines. I suppose crop insurance would be part of the cost of doing business. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, did you have anything else uh, to add other than uh, what's happening uh, on nope. Saturday? Not tonight. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, got yep. Our festival Saturday. Yeah. Saturday. Absolutely. Coming out uh, yeah. and enjoy the weekend at Florida State's Winery on uh, Saturday, January the 13th. That's in uh, this coming Saturday, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And I'll be Coming right up this Saturday at Florida State's Winery, it's Wine Fest, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Enjoy live music, have a little fun, and shop our vendors providing unique handmade items and some brand names you have known for years. Participate in an informative wine tasting with wine expert and show host, Ron. Sample some of Florida State's Winery's world-class wines. Shopping is always fun, and Wine Fest is a great way to pick up unique gift items. Come out to Florida State's Winery and enjoy the weekend with us. Listen to live music and shop under the giant oak trees while enjoying a glass of your favorite wine. This is a family event, and pets are welcome at Florida State's Winery. See you there. Florida State's Winery is located at 25241 State Road 52 in Land Lakes, Florida. Call 813-996-2113 or email corp at flune.com. That's C-O-R-P at F-L-E-W-N dot com for more information. Florida State's Winery is open daily, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Come on out Saturday. Come on out Saturday and enjoy visiting uh, with the vendors. Uh, a lot of shopping uh, uh, can be done there as well. And uh, pick up unique gift items uh, for friends and family or yourself. And just enjoy the weekend at Florida State's Winery this Saturday, especially uh, during the Wine Fest. And uh, uh, shopping's always fun. And, I mean, where else can you shop and enjoy uh, great music and a glass of your favorite wine? And uh, we'll see you there Saturday. So uh, be there uh, at Florida State's Winery. Uh, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. for Wine Fest. And this week, it's uh, Alex and Constantine will be providing the sounds. And, uh, again, you can do a wine tasting with Ron. That's always fun and, and informative. Um, and uh, it's going to be great. So come on out and enjoy it. We'll uh, see you Saturday the 13th at uh, Florida State's Winery. No classes uh, scheduled yet. And, Sunday. Um, we'll let you know. Sunday. There's not There's not one on here. Sunday. You can put it on there? Yeah, we got a class Sunday. Should be announced. If you have a group. Yes. Of <gasps> yes, Sunday. Oh, wow. Already got students to Wow. So are there openings? or Because uh, I know you're yes, kind of limited. Are. Okay, cool. Hold on just a second. I can do that for a minute and 28 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> What time is it? Yeah, we still got time. Okay. <laughs> hey, this is Mike. Coming up this Sunday at Florida State's Winery from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. is another wine class. That's right. Wine class at Florida State's Winery featuring winemaker, vineyardist, cellar master, and tasting expert Ron Hunt. He shares his experiences and educational knowledge of wine in a detailed three-hour wine class. It's a lot of fun and a great way to learn something new about wine. 
Some of the topics that are covered include a brief history of wines, wine grape varietals, wine grape diseases, wine glass styles and uses, cork history, evolution, and uses, oak aging, wine tasting, and rating wines, and my favorite, of course, the sampling of wines and a discussion. It's a great presentation, and it's located in the Florida State's Winery Tasting Room. For more information and to RSVP, which we would recommend, please contact the winery at area code 813-996-2113. Again, Florida State's Winery is phone number 813-996-2113. Florida State's Winery is located at 25241 State Road 52 in Land Lakes, Florida. Don't forget wine class this Sunday from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. at Florida State's Winery. See you there. Wow. Okay. I haven't heard that in such a long time. I just realized I messed up on the read on that one, but okay. Um, <laughs> that that I think that I think that one was recorded in 2009. I'm not sure when. I know the first one must have been. That was on the first. <laughs> This was this was the first one that was digitized. The the wine fest one was actually recorded on cassette. So there you go. <laughs> oh, oh wow! <laughs> that, that, was, that was before digital. <laughs> so yeah, it was a <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, we will. Um, oh, we're almost on time. <laughs> Eight thirteen p.m. We will go ahead and close the show for this week, and we'll see everybody uh, next week, uh, which would be Thursday, January the eighteenth at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Time right here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, I just also looked, uh, did a generic search for all about wine talk show, and I found we have 300 episodes on iTunes, including this one. Really? 300 episodes. Yeah, 300 episodes on there, and we're on something else. I didn't even uh, tune in. I didn't know we were on the tune-in amp, but apparently you can listen on tune-in. I didn't know it was on there uh, unless I just forgot about it, but uh, that's another avenue. So there's, there's different ways to get to us. And um, the shows uh, cool. the shows get on there, and uh, yeah, uh, they may have capped us at 300 because it was like 2011. But if you can go, you can go all the way back 300 shows, like to 2011 on on iTunes. Uh, just amazing. Just and yeah. listen, download whatever you got to do. But uh, man, what a! I didn't realize we had that. Um, so we will we will see everybody uh, next week and uh, next week. See what else. Have see what else we have week. going on. Thanks for yeah. Have thanks for tuning time. in and. Uh, Enjoy Thank the all. Um, all the things that uh, donuts. Now, especially you got the, it's the festival Saturday or last Sunday. Yeah. Yes. Yep. We will see everybody then. Uh, have a good week. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Have a good week. Thank you. Where's it at? There oh, we go. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron, originating from Florida State's Winery in Lando Lakes, Florida. Florida State's Winery is located at 25241 State Road 52 in Landa Lakes, Florida, four miles west of Interstate 75 or east of U.S. 19 and U.S. 41. For more information on Florida State's Winery, visit the website at floridastateswines.com or call 813-996-2113. That's 813-996-2113. The winery is open daily, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com.
www.thepowerofthenetwork.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. <laughs>